I'm Deanne Penn with UN News. Amid catastrophic flooding in Pakistan, UN humanitarians have raced to offer support to the government in the crucial early days of the relief effort. Beyond the immediate challenge of reaching all those stranded by the high waters, fears remain about next season's harvest if the waters do not recede in time for planting. With more, here's the UN World Food Program's country director for Pakistan, Chris Kay, who's been talking to UN News's Daniel Johnson. The good news is that it's not raining. It hasn't been raining for the past three days. The bad news is that the floodwaters that came down the Indus are now beginning to swell the flooded area in the bottom end of the Indus Valley. So the situation for many people who were already stranded isn't getting any easier. And it's also creating further challenges in terms of our ability to access those people. People on embankments and and camping on the side of roads. Unfortunately, that situation remains. And I think it's going to look as though it's going to stay that way for a, a couple more days yet. Goodness me, I know that we've had reports of many lorries being abandoned in the mud on highways and you've already talked about families being stranded on embankments with very little, I assume, to keep them going. So how are you getting to them? Well, the front end of the response is actually with the government. Um, You know, this is the reason why the, the UN launched its flash appeal yesterday, is to be able to get the resources so that we can contribute and support the government in its efforts. So whilst the World Food Programme has been operational, we've been providing food assistance to people in Balochistan over the course of the last three weeks, when the floods really started kicking in over there, we had limited operational capability in Sindh. From the government side, they have been extraordinary in terms of the mobilization of their own resources, and notably through their social protection scheme, which is a nationwide cash distribution mechanism, which has been providing, again, before the floods for the poorest of the poor, and which now they've opened up and they've expanded in order to accommodate those people who are affected by the floods. The challenge, as it is with us being able to get food to people, is for people to access that cash. And even when they can, can they buy anything in the market? So the mechanisms are around and about, but just like every other emergency in the world, the real challenge is in these early two or three days or so in the immediate aftermath of actually being able to get the operation from a stuttering start into fully fledged smooth operation. We're not there yet. That's the issue, isn't it? Getting help quickly in the immediate days before people make bad choices. So I know the World Food Programme has the UN Humanitarian Air Service at its disposal. Is it the case that access is so difficult you're going to have to use helicopters? Well, the government is already using helicopters. The government has already been providing its own air assets, using its own air assets to get food parcels and aid to stricken communities. They have not asked and we have offered for uh, additional support from UNHAS. Obviously, that's a very expensive undertaking in any case. But, you know, the challenge is we were very concerned in preparing our flash appeal in the kind of acknowledgement that the world is strapped right now. You know, the crisis in Ukraine, inflation, the economic downturn is all contributing to, I think, a tightening of aid budgets and a real limitation in terms of what finances can be brought forward. So far, the appeal is relatively modest. It's 160 million, given the magnitude of the crisis. But the response yesterday at the launch is encouraging, I'm glad to say. And I hope that that money will begin to flow not into WFP, but out of WFP in terms of food assistance and delivery in the field.
That flash appeal, as you say, launched on Tuesday for $160 million, but that's only for six months. But I guess the immediate priority is getting to people who have emergency needs, and there are many millions of them. At least, well, it's thought a 1,000 people have died and many more injured, 2,000 miles of roads and 100 bridges damaged or destroyed, and people's bank, their livestock, 800,000 or so have perished, and crops as well. I was going to ask you, you know, what's the likelihood of there being any sort of harvest later on this year? Yeah, that's absolutely the biggest concern. I mean, it's one thing is to be able to respond to the immediate needs and, and that in itself is challenging, but certainly looking beyond the impact that this is going to have in terms of the overall food security in Pakistan is really, really concerning. You know, 43% of people in Pakistan have already been classified as food insecure. Pakistan ranks as 92 out of 116 nations on the global hunger index. So whilst it produces quite a significant amount of food itself in a good year, the bottom line is that much of that food doesn't get to a fair proportion of its people. Looking further down the line in terms of harvest, Certainly, the amount of cropping land that has been destroyed, which is not necessarily going to drain away in time for planting for the next harvest, is going to have a huge impact on available food stocks next year. Food stocks that we did have in the country from the harvest this year have been washed away. So it's just one thing compounding over the next, which is really the prognosis in terms of overall food security in in Pakistan, as I say, for 2023 is really, really worrisome.